You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll read the verses 2 through 16. It's a letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, his second letter. In fact, it may be his third letter. We may be missing one in between. He writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see yourself for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad that I can have complete confidence in you. And we'll turn a little further to Philippians chapter 1. Read the beginning, the introduction, and the prayer of Paul for the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, the verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. 
For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. For our text this morning, we go back to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 23. First part of the verse there. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given where we are, time of year that it is, and the recreational habits of many of us, I'm sure that it's not lost on you that hockey is back. And once again, the marketers of the Vancouver Canucks are doing a good job of getting us all on board. As another season of Canada's favorite pastime begins, a little later than usual, but begins nonetheless, we're all again being urged to embrace the motto of Vancouver's team, the motto that seeks to bring us all together. It's not that they're Canucks. No, we are all Canucks. It's a pretty brilliant motto, pretty brilliant marketing slogan. And especially two years ago, we felt this, didn't we? As the Canucks advanced further and further into the playoffs and all those other Canadian teams dropped off, then the Canucks really did represent all of Canada's hopes for hockey. The only team in our country that us Canucks could identify with, and they're called the Canucks. And so that motto was a a call for all of us across the country to embrace the boys in blue and green and, and to share in them with the glory of their victory, the victory that was certain, that was at hand, and that never materialized. And so as it turned out, we didn't share in their glory or victory, but instead we shared with them in their misery and even in the events that took place after their loss in the shame of their defeat. The message to all of us was pretty clear at that point. Be careful who you identify with. you got to be careful about who you identify with. The scripture, of course, calls us to be very careful about who we identify with. But that's not to say that God's word does not hold out for us people that we can identify with in the right, in the proper way. Most of all, of course, we identify with our Lord Jesus Christ. We find our identity in him. The scriptures also show us others who found their identity in him. And who served for us as a model, just as the Apostle Paul said he was, as he held out others, a model of what it looks like to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, we meet the person of Titus. 
And we receive such a model of someone who identifies with Jesus Christ. We see that come out in all different ways in his life. It's true that he's a relatively little known figure in the New Testament. But in meeting him, we realize that he was a significant person, especially in the early church. As the Apostle Paul says in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. Partner and fellow worker of the great Apostle Paul. As Titus was very close to Paul and he played a crucial role in the, the, the very beginning, founding days of the church and of the advance of Christ's kingdom, especially as it went out to the Gentiles. But yet Titus's role was not unique in that he was a partner and a fellow worker along with Paul. In fact, we learn from Philippians 1, for example, in our reading together, that we all are partners along with the Apostle Paul and fellow workers along with him and the establishment of Christ's church and the advance of Christ's kingdom in this world. Here is a label that we can identify with. We are all partners and fellow workers in the gospel. In the next little while, it's my intention to preach on Paul's words to Timothy. Uh, not to Timothy, to Titus, to preach on Paul's words to Titus. And so this morning we will consider the person of Titus, his life, his character, and especially the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and how the work of the Lord Jesus Christ made an impact on his life and made him into an effective partner and fellow worker in the gospel. So Titus is a partner and fellow worker in the gospel, along with Paul, along with all of us. As such, he was grounded in the gospel. That's where it all begins. He was grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being grounded in the gospel, he was full of compassion. He was full of compassion for God's people. And being grounded in the gospel and full of compassion, he also proved to be trustworthy in the things that he was given to do within the church and the kingdom of God. If you would turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, we can read what the Apostle Paul has to say there about Titus. This is the earliest we know about Titus. It comes from Galatians chapter 2. The verses 1 through 5, page 1,810. Apostle Paul writes there, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment 
so that the truth of the gospel might be, might remain with you. At some point, Titus had come into contact with that gospel message, the good news of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven and his his message to the church to bring this gospel out into the whole world, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Titus had come into contact with this preaching, with this gospel, and had wholeheartedly embraced it. And had had clung on to Paul and become a fellow worker along with him. And that message of the gospel would have particularly resonated with Titus because of the message that Paul was preaching that this good news of Jesus Christ, the grace of God in the work of Jesus Christ, was also for the Gentiles. Because that's precisely who Titus was. He was a Gentile. He had a Gentile name, Titus. It's a Greek name. He was a Greek man. And so as he heard that the preaching of the, that he heard that this message went out to the whole world that, that Jesus Christ had died for sin in order to restore us to the one only true, righteous and holy God. And that having restored us, he would renew our lives. He believed it. He believed it. He embraced it by faith and he, he staked his life on it. That message of the gospel captured Titus's heart and it never let go. But when Paul came to Jerusalem, there were some prominent members of the church there who thought that it was not enough that Titus believed this message of the gospel. He said, well, that's great that you believe that message Now you can become one of the people of God. You need to be circumcised. They said that circumcision was needed as well. But that didn't fit with what Titus and what Paul knew about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew that when Jesus Christ came into this world, it changed everything. It meant change for this whole world. And for the people of God, it meant a complete change from the old covenant to the new covenant. From the old way of doing things to the new and better and beautiful way of doing things. It meant over with circumcision. That sacrament which set the people of Israel apart from the other nations. That sacrament which required the shedding of blood in order to show that. Jesus Christ had come as the end of the shedding of blood. And he had come with a new covenant, a message that this was now for the whole world, for all who would believe, repenting of their sins. And so Titus realized that to be circumcised as a Greek would be to rob the gospel of its power, would be to rob the gospel of the very message that this is for the whole world. And so he would not be circumcised. He was grounded in that gospel of Jesus Christ. There was no going back to the old covenant for him. No. He lived in the new covenant. He lived by the covenant that was fulfilled in the blood of Jesus Christ. He must have taken some backbone. Stand up to the leaders in Jerusalem, no less. But Titus, along with the help and encouragement of Paul, of course, and even more of the Holy Spirit, He stood firm in his convictions, stood firm 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it seems that 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 grounding in the gospel fortified this man, Titus, because he was a man of backbone. He was a man of character. He was given the task by Paul later during Paul's missionary work, the very difficult task by Paul of carrying a message to the Corinthian church. Paul needed someone with character, someone with backbone to bring a message to the Corinthian church. And so he chose Titus for the task. And we can read about that in 2 Corinthians 7 and 8. From what we can tell in 2 Corinthians 7 and 8, the, the, a fraction, a, a faction of the church was being infected by, by this arrogance. There, there were some leaders there who were very arrogant and were saying, we don't need Paul. Uh, he's not a, even an apostle. He didn't, he didn't see the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ was alive and on this earth. He's not that great. We don't need his message. Let's forget about him. And Paul was concerned that that, that message by those few had filtered into the whole church. And so he wrote this strongly worded letter to the Corinthians. At the same time, Paul needed to ask the Corinthian church to continue with their work of gathering together a gift for the Jerusalem church. The people in Jerusalem were very poor. They were afflicted with hardship. The people in Corinth were quite well off. They were rich. And so Paul was asking the people in Corinth and other churches to give a gift for the church of Jerusalem in order to support them. He needed someone to handle the difficult job of bringing this this difficult letter and also of giving the money talk and telling the Corinthians that their money was needed for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So who was the right man for this job? It was the man who had before proven himself to be grounded in the gospel. The man in whom the gospel was at work so that he had backbone, so that he had character. Titus. Standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ gave Titus courage. It gave him what he needed to face the difficult task that Paul now gave him in Corinth. And this is somewhat in contrast with another person in the Old Testament, the person of Timothy. We know from the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we know also from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Timothy was a bit timid. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear. While he's with you, for he's carrying out the work of the Lord just as I am. It seems, it seems Timothy was prone to, to fear in the face of the people around him. And he always had to be encouraged not to fear. Don't be timid. The gospel gives you strength. And we do see through the letters of Paul, the gospel and the spirit of God did in fact fortify Timothy as well. But Titus was a different character. He was firm from the beginning. So that when he arrived in Corinth, he came with such strong conviction and authority that we read at the end of our reading this morning that they received him with fear and trembling. So strong was his conviction that he came to them with. Titus was focused on his Lord Jesus Christ and was from him that he drew this courage, this strength, this backbone. He was so focused, in fact, that in Titus 1, verse 4, Paul calls him my true son in our common faith. It's a beautiful term of endearment that expresses that Paul, the Jew, is together with Titus, the Gentile, 
And they're together grounded in that one gospel of Jesus Christ. What would it take to receive that sort of a commendation from the Apostle Paul, my true son in our common faith, fellow worker, partner in the gospel along with me? Is that something that we today even are thinking of or that we should strive for? Is this sort of commendation something that we identify with as the people of God? It should be. Remember, Titus was Paul's partner in the gospel, but so are you. We are all partners in in the gospel. We are all fellow workers in this work. We're all grounded together in that same gospel. And so it is our, our goal and our joy to receive that commendation that says, well done, good and faithful servant. You remain grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remain strong in the face of whatever it was that that stood before you. You were faithful to the gospel and you did what I called you to do. Well done. So how do you do that? You plant yourself firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it requires. Planting yourself firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be grounded in Him. Know Him. Believe in Him. Embrace Him. Be unshakable in your commitment to the truth of the gospel, no matter what may come, no matter what way it may try to shake you from that, whether it's persuasion from other people, whether it's the circumstances around you. Be unshakable in your commitment to Jesus Christ and to His gospel. And you will hear those beautiful words. Because even more than you grab hold of the gospel and remain strong in it, Jesus Christ, through his gospel, will grab hold of you and keep you strong till the end. In fact, we already receive that commendation, don't we? We already receive that commendation. We're already good and faithful servants when we grab hold of the promises of God in Jesus Christ. The promise of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to the one only true, holy and righteous God. That we are right, righteous before him. And that he will renew our lives. That's what Titus believed. That's what we all must believe. And this grounding in the gospel had a profound effect on Titus as it does for all the people of God. In particular, it made Titus full of compassion. Now, you may think that if Titus was a man of such strong backbone and convictions, that he must have been some sort of unbending, stubborn, and unsympathetic man, as some people who have strong convictions can be. But strong convictions in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a firm grounding in the gospel does not make you stubborn or unbending or unsympathetic in any way. Rather, it actually the gospel and the spirit through the gospel goes to work on your emotions 
and begins to move them and stir them in the right way. It actually makes you more bending and more pliable and full of more sympathetic and caring emotions than ever before. So that as Jesus says, you can both rejoice with those who rejoice and you can mourn with those who mourn. You're adaptable to the different circumstances and situations because you yourself are grounded in the gospel. Standing firm in Jesus Christ is what anchors you so that you can reach out to others with true compassion, true emotion, can meet them where they are. And Titus, though strong in his convictions, was a compassionate man. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. We read about this compassion. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16, Paul says, I thank God who put it in the heart of Titus, the same concern that I have for you. And and Paul's emotions and compassion are well known. In fact, in our reading, uh, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he expresses that he has the affection of Jesus Christ for the church at Philippi, for all the churches, for all his brothers and sisters. And our Lord Jesus Christ is certainly compassionate. This is Paul, this man of very strong convictions. This this once vindictive and violent man was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that he had compassion and affection for the people that he once tried to lock up in jail. Titus shares in this compassion that Paul shares in because he shares with him in the gospel in believing in Jesus Christ. Remember that as Titus went to Corinth, he faced this difficult situation. Paul was afraid for the worst, that the people were rejecting him. He had this difficult task, and then he sends Titus right into the hornet's nest. Perhaps the human approach in that situation would have been to really come down on the Corinthians. Shame them into submission. Shame on you. How could you ever think of doing such a thing like that? Or perhaps he could just assume that they're a no-good church, that they'll never get it right. Here they receive the gospel from Paul, and then they turn around and reject him. Forget them. I'm done with them. That's not what shapes Titus' approach. Rather, he goes with them, to them with concern as his brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's confident in his concern that when they receive the word of God and that as the Holy Spirit works in them, they will come around. He's very concerned for them because he knows that they too, along with him, share in this gospel. And he's concerned that that might be where the problem is. And so his commitment to Jesus Christ frames his approach and works a heart of compassion within him. As partners and fellow workers in the gospel, we need to be rooted in Jesus Christ with strong convictions. But we also need to be bending, to be compassionate, to be sympathetic with our brothers and sisters. We need to think the best and to have a true and godly concern for them as we come to them with whatever difficult situation either they're facing or a rift that there may be between us 
Last week we spoke about the unity that we have to have in the body of Jesus Christ. Well, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to come to each other with concern, with compassion for each other. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to soften our heart, needs to stir our emotions within us. And this approach that Titus took, it it bore fruit in Corinth. Titus comes with this strong letter, and the Corinthians show that humble, teachable spirit that's characteristic of those who also are grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hear this letter from Paul, and their hearts are broken with a godly sorrow. And they repent, and they're sorry for the trouble that they have caused to Paul and to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by you. And the reception that the Corinthians gave only caused Titus's compassion to grow for the people. And so they shared, they grew in that bond that they had. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 15. And his affection for all of you is all the greater as he remembers that you were obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. In fact, the Spirit even continues to work in this meeting between Titus and the Corinthians as Titus brings his message back to Paul. As the Apostle Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians 7, at verse 5. We read that together. We came to Macedonia, it says, our body had no rest. Our, our, we were just harassed at every turn. We had conflicts on the outside and fears within, fears about the church in Corinth. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us also by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You have this situation which which could have been a situation of conflict. And the emotions could arose, the conflict could arose, as Paul says to the Corinthians, you need to repent. And they say, no, we're not going to. And Titus comes there as the strong man. But instead, as Titus comes with compassion, God works through him. And, and what could have been a disastrous situation results in joy and comfort and unity for all involved. It's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit at work. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ-derived compassion at work in the lives of fellow workers and partners in the gospel. And so clearly, Titus was a man of special gifts. Strong in the gospel, compassionate with the people of God. Paul had enough confidence to, in him to put him in one of the most difficult circumstances of going into Corinth. He brought that harsh letter. It required a person like Titus, a person of great tact. But as Titus would go there, and certainly he is gifted, the question also arises, will Titus be worthy of his calling? Will Titus be trustworthy with the difficult task that he has been given? Or will he flee? You can have all the gifts in the world, 
But if you are not trustworthy and faithful, but rather self-serving, and those gifts, instead of being a blessing for the people of God, will instead turn into a license to take advantage of people. Take advantage of their trust in you and of the gifts that you have toward them and to take advantage of them, to serve yourself and thereby to bring ruin and disrepute on the kingdom of Christ. And so you can be very gifted, but you also need to be trustworthy. And that is what Titus was. How did Titus respond, especially in this matter of the money? Was he trustworthy? Well, he was. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our other brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Titus did not exploit the Corinthians in the situation that they were in, but he was faithful. A servant of Jesus Christ does not take advantage of others in order to serve themselves, but a servant of Jesus Christ follows the example of Jesus Christ himself, who did not take advantage of others, but instead became a servant, who didn't use the power that he had living in glory in heaven in order to take advantage, but came to serve and to live and even to die for his people. That's what partners and fellow workers in the gospel do. They're trustworthy as servants. And so this work in Corinth became the training ground for an even more difficult task that Titus would be faced with, the task of planting a church on the island of Crete. And we'll be learning more about that in the weeks to come. The people of Crete, you may remember from that letter that Paul wrote, are described by him as, listen to this, How would you like to plant a church in this place? Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Here, Titus, here's your job. Preach the gospel among these people. And he punctuated that statement about the Cretans by saying, this testimony is true. So what was the reward for trustworthiness for Titus? Great job, Titus. You are trustworthy in that difficult situation. Well, here you go. Here's another harder one for you. Let's see how you do here. Why would Titus be sent in this more difficult situation? Shouldn't he be rewarded in some sort of earthly way? Well, no, he shouldn't. He was proven trustworthy in Corinth. And so Paul knew. And so Jesus Christ knew that he could send him into this even more difficult situation in Crete. When you're trustworthy with a little, then God will give you even more in which to be trustworthy. When you're trustworthy with a little, then God will give you even more with which to be trustworthy. And as we learn from Titus, that situation of getting the more might mean that it's also more difficult. It might be more hardship, more pain, more sorrow along with that new situation. This is a good perspective for us to have as we deal with the things that God puts in our lives. This afternoon, we'll consider God's will, God's will for our lives. God does not, he says, 
give us more than we can bear. And so why does it seem like he seem like he piles on hardships and trouble and difficult situations on the lives of some people while the lives of others they just seem to skate right through? Well, for one reason, it's because he has found you trustworthy. He's found you trustworthy. He's found you capable of bearing this load that he has now put on you. And so the message being grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ is be faithful with what he has given you. Because you are a partner in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that itself gives life. It may seem like this situation you're in is sucking all the life out of you, but that's okay because you're rooted in Jesus Christ and he'll just keep pumping the life right back into you by his word and by his spirit. And so in all things, brothers and sisters, let us continue to be grounded in Jesus Christ and being grounded in Jesus Christ, firm of conviction in him, let us be full of compassion and in all things be trustworthy toward our great King and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.